What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Joe Rogan came out and picked Michael Chandler to beat Conor McGregor. That's a headline. I didn't see it. I didn't click on it. Little bit surprising. Rogan doesn't usually jump involved in those things. And it seems as though he must have been offering something. I mean, he must have just been offering because it's not as though that's a fight that's on the table. It's not as though that's a fight that will ever be on the table in the short term. You don't take the guy that just won and put him against the guy that just lost. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like, like Rogan kind of, kind of went out there a little bit, kind of stuck himself out there. But it does make me go, well, let me do the same thing. Let's take, let's take a look at that fight. I would pick Chandler as well to beat McGregor. I would do that on the guys that Chandler is a multiple-time All-American wrestler and that he could take Connor down and keep him there the same way as we saw Khabib do, just for an example. I wouldn't be overly bullish on that. I would not tell you to go part with all of your money for that bet, but I would pick Chandler in the fight. So I uh, tend to agree with Rogan there. However, I'm more speaking to the phenomenon, the very short-term memories that we have. To base somebody's career, and we all do it, I'm guilty of it too, but we will base somebody's career, in Connor's case, based on seven minutes of fighting. We will base it on seven minutes of action. And it's one of those things, had Connor beaten Poirier, there's no way Rogan is picking Chandler to beat him, at least not to just offer it out of the blue, a mythical fight. And I don't think that many of you would either. It's just we saw Connor, who has appeared invincible at times, to be very invincible, to come out, I mean, open, beat twice. Beat three different ways. He got beat in the takedown department. He got his leg beat to death and he got knocked out. Beat three different ways, but you're still basing an opinion on seven minutes of action. And I've been very quick to say that I accept Connor's reason. I don't look at it as an excuse. His reason, which was the inactivity. And I have had people push back and say, but Chael, you're just taking away from Poirier's great performance. Well, I sure, I sure don't think I am. To watch what Poirier had to overcome. You know, Tito never got any credit at the night he knocked out Chuck. Chuck looked terrible, had been removed for seven years, and Tito never got any credit. Well, in hindsight, I can see where you'd come to that conclusion, but if you put yourself in Tito's shoes, signing a contract, going through a training camp, showing up to the arena, being in the back, and walking out against a guy who smoked you twice, not to mention that you used to train with and he beat you every day in training. I mean, it's a big deal. It's a mental battle that Tito had to overcome, whether you want to piss on Tito's performance or not. Tito did overcome a mental battle. And I share with you that I openly see that Poirier overcame a mental battle and he was in a physical one. Poirier was in a physical battle. And you can talk about that was the worst Connor you've ever seen. It was the worst Connor I've ever seen, but it was still a Connor that was going forward, that was pressing the action, that was looking for a left hand and landing it. So he wasn't some dirty, rotten guy out there. He got taken down, a little easy, short, but he got back up to his feet. There was very good moments done there by Connor. I'm complimenting Connor because if Poirier goes out and stops the guy in seven, Poirier beat, Poirier beat a pretty good Connor. Not only was it a mental battle that Poirier overcame, there was a physical gap between those two, at least within their first fight. Their first fight that was less than two minutes long was not a matter of Connor going out and catching him. Connor beat Poirier's ass and then got him out of there all in two minutes. I bring that to you because Poirier beat Connor's ass and then got him out of there in seven minutes. So I don't feel as though there's any insult to Poirier. It's a full recognition that Poirier is the guy. He is the guy to fight for the belt. It looks like that's going to be a vacated belt, but even if Khabib comes back, that's the guy. So I'm not quite sure where the insult comes, but if we are looking to a part three, it is very important and very fair to break down your most recent piece of evidence, which was the last fight. And there was some problems that Connor had, and I can tell you as a guy that's had layoffs, it's, it's a real thing. And you can say it's not all you want. And every fighter will deny it and say that it's not. Not because he's attempting to lie to you or even lie to himself. He just doesn't know. You don't know until you walk out there. The speed of an actual fight feels so much faster than what you saw in sparring until you're used to seeing it. The only athlete that's ever said ring rust is not real. And then we have to look back and go, well, yeah, it's not for you is Dominic Cruz. That is the only, there's no boxer you could bring in, no judo, no wrestler, no grappler, nobody, except for Dominic Cruz. So, right, I mean, I feel like it's a pretty accurate statement to say ring rust is very real for everybody, even though we do have one fine point example. I mean, sure, is it a little bit of a broad stroke? Yeah, I guess, but it's 99.999% accurate. It does make me want to see the rematch. It does make me very compelled for what we're going to see, because I am very confident that we will see a different Conor McGregor, much like we saw 
in his rematch with Nate Diaz. But if you were to go back to that Nate Diaz fight, a lot of people thought Nate won. I only bring that to you because even if I'm right, if I am right, that Connor is going to come back better, more prepared, and have shaken uh, off this coat of rain rust. So that doesn't mean he wins. If Connor makes it into the third round, he's done better. If he makes it into the fourth round, he's done better. And that's the same lack of pressure that Poirier got to come into this fight with. Poirier was out of there in less than two minutes in their first fight. So if you were to compare what's going to happen to the way we judge track and field, track and field is not about, can I beat the guy standing next to me in this 100 meter race? It's about, personal records. You can pretend that guy's not even there. Can I personally run this faster than I've ran it before? If I have, I've done my job and I've done a great job at it. Has nothing to do with beating the guys on my left or right. I bring that to you because Poirier got to go into this. Look, if Poirier can get to three minutes, he's done better. He has a personal record. If he gets into the second round, he has done better. He has a personal record with Connor. So for Poirier to be able to compartmentalize and go out there and look at it from that perspective. I've never heard Poirier say this. I just know what I saw. And I saw a very relaxed Dustin Poirier that was able to get a lot of work done. Now, if you're make-believing in any fashion that Connor was so rusty and so bad that it's just gonna be a, a, a whole new story, I think that's a little bit of a stretch too. I think Connor looked pretty good. It's just the worst Connor I've ever seen. The Connor that I saw out there that I'm declaring the worst Connor I've ever seen is a top seven guy in the world, even on that day. I'm very inclined to say a top five guy. I bought myself a couple of more spaces so that you guys didn't argue with me. Call him a top seven guy. I mean, it was a very good fighter and Poirier got his ass out of there. Hurt him, stopped that leg, stopped an entire arm of his being, took him down and knocked him out. But Poirier did a lot of things where if Connor is to improve and looks a whole lot better, he could still lose that fight. I'm bringing that to you because now we're talking about the Chandler can go out and beat McGregor and I feel as though we're just going to keep saying, well, this guy could beat Connor and this guy could beat Connor. Well, that Connor. But what happens if the Connor that fought Jose Aldo shows up? What happens if the Connor that fought Chad Mendes shows up? What happens if the Connor that fought Eddie Alvarez shows up? In all fairness, what happens if the Connor that fought Khabib shows up? The Connor that got beat by Khabib is, was the second best guy in the world that night. It was number two. He was not number one. Khabib was number one. But the Connor that showed up against Khabib beat anybody else alive in the weight class. So I think that both of these guys have a lot to prove. I think that there's a, there's a lot of improvement here going. I am very curious for what's going to happen with Chandler. Look, when the monster comes out of the closet, you can't put him back in. Chandler is a monster that burst out of a closet onto a world stage into what many are calling a top two pay-per-view of all time, which just means he had a lot of eyeballs on him. A lot of new fresh faces that want to see something very special for Chandler. The most special thing you can get is a title fight. I do not believe we're going to see Chandler versus Poirier. In fact, I'm very bullish in telling you that's the only matchup for Chandler next that I'm confident we won't see because there's no media around it, including Joe Rogan coming out talking about Chandler versus Connor. Chandler versus Connor is more unlikely than Chandler versus Poirier only because you two guys coming off a win. So I bring that to you because I am very curious what you're going to do with Chandler. I think that Poirier has hit it on the head saying, go fight Oliveira, but Gaethje's got to have something to do as well. And I notice as we have this three-way dance between these guys, it's very obvious that we're in a round robin right now with Gaethje, Chandler, and Oliveira, and none of them is calling each other out. They're all scared of each other. They're all pretending, well, I'm holding out for a title fight. That's what I deserve. No, you're, you're not. You're not getting a title fight. None of you three are right now. And you're not fooling any of us by acting as though you think that your phone's going to ring. You're going to get a title fight. We all see through it. None of you want to fight each other. You want the title fight handed to you, but you don't want to go out and fight each other. All you got to do is get two of those guys together. One of them's going to be the odd man out. This is the part that they're missing. Oliveira, Gaethje, and Chandler. Two of those guys are going to fight. One of them isn't going to get a fight. I believe they're hoping, I hope that's me. Hope these guys go kill each other while I sit out. Now, the one that sits out is the one that's done. That's the one that's going to stumble and is never going to recover, at least not within this calendar year. These storylines are going to move on so rapidly with whoever gets missed out of that triangle, and it's going to be one of them. And of the three, none of them are campaigning. Now, I'll tell you right now, the easiest one to get to the table is going to be Chandler. Chandler is a competitor, first and foremost. He wants to go and compete. Okay, great. We got Chandler there, but is it going to be against Oliver? Is it going to be against Gaethje? And those two guys have got to figure that out quickly. And whoever goes to Dana first is going to get that fight. And instead of going to Dana first, they're holding out, thinking in some kind of a mythical fantasy that they're going to slide into a title fight, which simply is not going to happen. They're going to end up fighting somebody else of much less regard and much less degree. And they're going to be left out. Gaethje, Oliveira, 
Chandler. Chan I'll speak for Chandler. I spoke to Chandler this morning. I'll speak for Chandler right now. Chandler's in. The question comes down to, is it going to be Gaethje or Oliveira? The answer is, whichever one asks for it, will get it. If neither ask for it, one of them will be asked to do it. Either way, of this triangle and of this round robin, one of them is about to be left out. And they either don't care or they're so out of touch with the industry and their own career specifically that they don't see it. Dan Hooker came out. He did the funniest damn interview. I don't even know if he meant to be funny. It, it was so lighthearted, and I really appreciate it because we have been left with what's Dan Hooker going to do? Meaning, what does he want to do? Hooker's a top guy. Hooker hasn't been less than a co-main event in three years and main evented several shows. Felder was a main event. Poirier was a main event. It was the top of my head. It hasn't been less than a co-main event, right? Hooker matters. But Hooker threw his gloves into the octagon. How are we supposed to interpret that? So somebody got a hold of Hooker, did a little bit of an interview. Hooker's still at Fight Island. He's got to stay there, I think it was like for three more weeks. Then he said he's got to go home, put a month in with a teammate who's training for a fight, which largely speaks to Hooker's character. And then there's something else about another two-week quarantine, right? He's from New Zealand. I share that with you. Some of the the rules there are different than maybe you could relate to, and that, that's, that's why some of the rules for him are different. So at any rate, he said, well, I painted myself in a little bit of a corner. You know, when I threw my gloves in there, I was mad and upset, but I go back to the hotel and I realize there's nothing else I'm good at. So, I mean, right, it was just this lighthearted, funny interview, whether it was meant to be or not. And he said, I wasted four months of my life. I zigged when I should have zagged. I look terrible. I'm embarrassed. You know, these kinds of things. Like, well, let me stop you right there, Dan. Let me stop you right there. Because you didn't see the fight. You were in the fight. I saw the fight and Dan Hooker did not look terrible. He looked like a guy that got caught with a punch that would have put down a mule, right? It was the same thing when Masvidal knocked out Askren. Like, you can tease Askren if you're just that kind of person that likes that kind of a thing, but you couldn't have taken that shot either. You ju there's just some punches you just can't take. The human body just can't. Anybody's going out. Hooker took one of those shots. And you have to understand, from a physical perspective, Hooker did some things very well. The people that were betting on Hooker were betting on the fact that Hooker could keep it on his feet. So the fact that Hooker lost while on his feet might bother Dan a little bit. But the other side of the coin is the people that were betting on Chandler thought Chandler was going to take him off his feet with his wrestling, which never happened. And as short as that fight might have been, Chandler would have liked to have taken him down and couldn't. Didn't see an opening, didn't get in there. So Ch I'm only sharing for you, Hooker did do some things right. And one thing that the fence does, and these guys were up against the fence when Chandler took, or when Hooker took this shot. But the fence is relevant. If you're taking on a grappling heavy guy, that fence can serve as a tag team partner if you use it right. There's ways to get on the fence, sink your hips, adjust your heels and toes and really stop a wrestler from going to work. The other part of the news of being up against the fence is you don't have anywhere to go. And from a striking standpoint, that's a great place to start striking, which is what Chandler did. I mean, you gotta think about it from this perspective. A guy can move only so many ways, but when his back's against the fence, he now can't go that way. Coming forward is something he's not going to do. He's looking for space because he's taken on a wrestler. He's not gonna come forward. So now you're left with left, right, or stay the same. Had Hooker gone to his right, it would have taken some steam off the punch. Had he gone to his left, it would have added to the punch. Instead, he stayed the same, which gives Chandler a chance to hit him as hard as he can. I mean, those were the options that Hooker was up against when that hook came. Can't go backwards, not gonna come forward. Love it if my body went to the right. Don't wanna go to the left, maybe I'll stay the same. He stayed the same, Chandler hit him as hard as he could. I mean, what's Hooker really got to be mad about? The outcome? Okay, I can understand that. The performance? No. Uh-uh. He cannot be mad at the performance. There wasn't enough of it. There wasn't enough to be happy, sad, or in between. It was the same as Askren Masvidal. There's not really a way to be upset with yourself. Something happened that nobody could have taken. I happened to be the one that took it. I had the same reaction that everybody else would have had had they been hit with that shot. So now what are we mad about? We're just mad about that it was in the first round? I don't know. That doesn't seem like something Hooker should be mad about. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it that way. There was parts of his performance that looked really good, particularly stopping the grappling, particularly the footwork and movement. That was on his side. Made connection a few times with his legs. Chandler, also world-class athlete, former champion, multiple-time All-American, out there doing his job. I mean, it's a two-man sport. What do you want? You had two guys doing what they were supposed to do and what they were trained to do. We can figure out 15 minutes later whose idea worked better, or we could just figure it out right now. What's the difference? So I think as Hooker fans, we have some good news. Hooker is not done. The question is, what does he do now? That's not something that has to be answered in the short term. But if we are going to answer it in the long term, I'll still share my wish. I wish he would go to 170. 
170. I wish he would at least take a good look at going to 170. But there's plenty of very interesting things for Hook. I mean, here, I'll throw you one just for fun. You're looking for something to do. Hey, Cowboy, you busy in three months? Hey, Hooker. I mean, right, just by example, did any of you just turn away and snicker and say you don't want to see it? I mean, just offering you, for example, look, the top guys in that division, it is iron on iron, but it is in every division. And the only thing that, that happened is that Hooker was being showcased which he deserved to be, along with other guys in that division. 55 was really put to the test that night. So you had some guys that go to the front of the class and some guys that are going to have to go to the back. But we knew that going in. It was a very high-risk night when your whole division is under the microscope. I don't I don't accept Hooker being mad at Hooker. I don't accept that. He didn't see the fight. I saw the fight. I still don't think Hooker's seen the fight. He's wrong. He's wrong in his assessment. He did some things very well that night. He got hit with a shot that would have put any of us down. Next. Poirier's come out, he said he relishes the target that it on, is on his back, and he's gonna just sit out for a little bit until the right opportunity emerges. So, I wanna ask you guys a question, is he handling that right? It sounds like he's taking his oars out of the water. Is he handling that right? Should he just sit back with the target on his back? Realize something great is going to happen. Realize that he now qualifies for a title fight, it's going to be a title, so whoever. Or should he look at it a little bit more strategically? attempt to manipulate his own career a bit. Find the right opponent. If so, what is the right opponent? Somebody he can beat, or is it what looks best for his wallet? It's a tough spot, right? If you're gonna go fight for a world championship, when your phone rings, you largely have to say yes. In fact, let's reword that. The right thing to do is to say yes. If we as the audience find out that you didn't, we're not gonna want you fighting for a world championship. We're gonna have a big problem with that, and we should. So you need to manipulate that board and influence whoever it is is going to make that phone call to you to be offering you what it is you want to be offered ahead of time. Or don't. You could do that too. You could do that too. But these are your options. It sounds as though Poirier is just going to step out. I think the Poirier is in a very fun spot. And the, the game of chess that he's going through is rather straightforward. We are down to Connor and Nate. With the information that we have now, with the press conferences and the media and the headlines and the interest and intrigue by the fans, we're down to two, Connor and Nate, in that order. And Nate was pretty high. But Nate doesn't always understand how hot he is. If Nate really wanted that fight, he could get that fight to happen. He just needs to speak louder and more often than Connor. Tough one you're competing against. Connor's not afraid to get a bullhorn and go on top of a skyscraper if that's what it takes to be heard. Tough guy to compete with. But that's all that Nate would have to do. Nate made one comment on Twitter and controlled the headlines for a week, but that was a week ago. And now he's back to being quiet. I still feel with what we know right now, that's the order that we're in. Connor and Nate. Let's say I'm right, and let's say that it stays that way, and let's say that Nate speaks up a little bit and keeps his name in there. If you're Poirier and you have to choose between those two right now, the right choice, if you're given it, the right choice is Nate. And the reason it's Nate not only is for the parody, okay? But we talk about this a lot. Whatever a guy brings into the ring, it's all on the line. All chips are in. If you've had an okay career and this guy brings a world championship into the ring, you have a chance to leave as the world champion, even though you only had an okay career. Ruiz did it to that Anthony Joshua. Just by example, for a recent combat example where all chips are in at all times, I bring that to you because Poirier and Nate both have a major mega million box office draw ace up their sleeves that they can throw on the table at any time, and that is a trilogy with Conor McGregor. I do not believe that Conor McGregor is going to go fight both of those guys at any point in his career. So that would be what's on the line. And that's also why it's it's important that Poirier, if he was to position and he's looking what what is best for the bottom line, needs to go after Nate now because the Conor trilogy always works. Connor versus Nate trilogy works. Do you guys agree? Yes. Unanimously, you just agreed with me. Okay. Those guys haven't been in the ring with each other in three years. It might be four. But a moment ago, you all just agreed. It still works. So my point is, if Dustin is looking for what's next, go after Nate. Beat Nate. Earn the fact that your trilogy with Connor is now the one that matters. Fight Connor after that or fight him five fights from now. What Nate is going to bring to the table is the same thing that you're bringing in, which is who gets the trilogy. Now, if you think that, oh, well, Chael, what are you saying? Poirier could have the trilogy with Connor right now. Connor's asking for it. I agree with you. I get that. What I'm suggesting for you is a way to get two fights. What's better than a payday? Two paydays. And it's going to take the right finesse, but either one is. Connor fighting for a belt right now is so problematic that a guy within the division, Justin Gaethje, said, man, I might even leave the division. I'd be so disgusted. 
discussed it, just to prove the point, it's problematic. How do you put a guy who just got not only KO'd, he, he didn't, didn't win a minute of a fight, lost the only completed round and got finished and could barely walk out. How do you put him in a title fight? Well, pretty easy to do. It's going to take a little finesse, but it's pretty easy to do. But you're faced with the same situation with Nate. Nate's story is a little different in that his last fight was a title fight. There was a controversial stoppage, and by the way, it was up a weight class. Just a little easier sell, in my opinion. For the way I would package and present it, I would have an easier time, me, Chael, personally, would have an easier time with Nate. Now, if Poirier sits around and does nothing, he could end up with anybody. I don't know that Poirier gives a damn. And I don't know that Poirier's gonna have a problem. His next fight's gonna be for a world championship. I think that the odds makers are gonna believe he's gonna leave with said championship, no matter who the opponent is. But that doesn't mean that one isn't more attractive than another, particularly if you're playing chess. If you're playing checkers, it's what's next. If you're playing chess and you're trying to look two and three ahead, you got this target on your back, you've got some options. But once that phone call comes, that means the decision was made on the second floor in Las Vegas. So the game right now is to manipulate the decision makers through the audience and through the media so that when they make that phone call, they're offering you the match that you wanted anyway. That's the game. Very few people play it, and I, I don't know that Dustin is, but Dustin's in a really cool spot. Snoop Dogg once said, I'm never broke if you owe me 20 grand. Well, the same is true in fighting. You're never done if you got that ace up your sleeve. And this is a business that nobody wants to be done with. You will wake up one day and the business is done with you. So the guys that have that pocketed, that can throw it on the table, by example, a Connor Trilogy, they can throw that on the table anytime, are in a very unique position. Because as great as Dustin is skill for skill, his time will come when he's not. It just happened to Connor. It happens to us all. You wake up one day and all of a sudden you're not, the, it's just different. So much like anybody that has a job, all of you, Doing a good job today is important. It's not as important as having a job to come back to tomorrow. That is the most important thing. And this business doesn't work that way unless you have an ace in your hole, right? Poirier's got it now. A good player is not going to play the one card up his sleeve until he has to play it, which is where kicking the can on the Connor fight starts to be something that Poirier should be at least a level of interested in doing without looking like a chicken and without hurting the fans and giving them something that they don't want, which is where Nate Diaz comes in. Do you guys know who Giga is? Giga trains at King's MMA story gym, Rafael Cadero. He came, he's a Muay Thai guy, kickboxer, and he came through like the K-1 or glory scene. I mean, if you want to talk about pure strikers at 145 pounds, you have to put this guy at the absolute top. So I'm bringing you Giga because he fought four times last year. We're all talking about Kevin Holland. Oh, by the way, Giga won all four of his fights. We're all talking about Kevin Holland. Well, Kevin fought five times. Kevin got all the praise. Giga got nothing. I feel as though if you fight four times in the middle of a pandemic, you should get something for that. Not to mention he won them all. Oh, oh, I got to throw this. This is my favorite part of the story. So he lives in California. Okay. They're doing the fights at the apex and somebody pulls out of some fight. Somebody it's like pops up on the internet. Giga gets in his car, drives to Vegas, makes weight and goes, I'm here. Put me in. They didn't put him in. He tried. Had he done that, he would have fought five times last year. But Hey, Dana, I got the balls to do it, is one thing. Getting in your car, driving to a fight on weight and saying, I'm here. I'm here right now. Let me walk into there with my gloves on, and my short pants and my mouthpiece. I mean, that's a whole nother level of volunteering for a fight. And I'm bringing you guys this story of Giga because I feel like he should get something for it. Even if it's just your guys' appreciation, even if it's just a, a, a look in his direction and go, man, what, this guy fought four times and tried to fight five. Crazy Bastard got on a car, happened to be on weight because he saw some headline on the internet. Yeah, that's what the Crazy Bastard did. He deserves something for it. And when I do look at it, you know, it, it reminds me of Chemayev. I was so into the Chemayev gimmick. I am I am so disappointed the gimmick's gone, and I feel like it's gone. I feel like the COVID thing hit, and it just derailed that. Now, Chemayev can live another life. He doesn't need to be the guy that fights twice in a week and keeps jumping between weight classes. There's another Chemayev gimmick, which is he can be on a fast-track pursuit to a world championship, which I would argue that he's already on. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to miss the gimmick, man. I thought that was cool. I thought it was cool, right? Again, like what we're talking about with Giga, they tie in. Saying, hey, Dana, I'll do it is totally different. That's a cool thing to do. Totally different than driving, showing up at the arena on weight with no contract, no purse, unexpected, and saying, put me in, I have my mouthpiece, somebody hand me some gloves. 
totally different. So for guys to say they're willing to fight more, but actually doing it like Kevin Holland did, or guys saying they want to fight more, but actually stepping in the ring at two different weight classes, eight days apart, like Chimaev did, I'm just going to miss the gimmick. And I really do feel when he settles in at 170, if he beats Leon, and that's a tremendous if, I think now you just keep him at 170. Leon is currently ranked number three in that division. Chimaev will take that ranking if he beats Leon. And by take the ranking, maybe he doesn't get three, but he comes in four. Maybe he moves all the way up to two because he looks so good against, I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's going to be right there at three. And I think once a guy's a top three guy, you got to st- you got to keep him in that way. He's trained by Ali. I think that I'll, I've never asked Ali this question, but I think he would agree with me. Go, yeah, once I get a guy who's top five and is on a uh, track for a championship, I'm not going to yank him out just because that was the, the, the story early on in his career. I'm not just going to bump him up to 85 and keep him laser focused on the goal. So I'm very confident in telling you, unfortunately, the Chemayev gimmick is gone, but the experiment continues. And Chemayev was talking about Leon. If you overlook Leon Edwards, you're going to look like the last eight guys. He hasn't lost an eight fight. Oh, and by the way, ninth, nine fights ago was the current champ, Usman. Just saying, you take your eye off Leon, you got big problems. And I think this is a good time to catch Leon. He has been off. Leon has been on a break. And if his break was anything like Connor's break, this is a good time to catch Leon. That's all I'm saying. Fair statement by me. Shemaev came out and said, I've never watched his fights, never studied him at all. I caught a couple of highlights of his fight with Usman, of which in those highlights, Usman was kicking his ass. If Usman can kick this guy's ass, I will demolish him. And how much of that is shtick? I don't know. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to accept it as though it's gospel, as though there's no tongue in cheek. He's got no grain of salt. He's completely serious. And he just doesn't watch guys fights based on the fact that he stepped in against two different guys in two different weight classes, eight cla- eight days apart with absolutely no, no, yeah, I, okay, fine. He probably doesn't study guys. That doesn't appear to be something that's important to him, but Leon's a whole nother deal. Those three guys, and they were close to part in two different weight classes, and none of them got out of the first round, and they were all stoppages. Man, that is so impressive. Leon is a whole nother deal. Leon's a problem. Big problem. I lean towards Chemayev. I'm a little early for a fight prediction. I'm just sharing with you. We got a fight, a real one, and it's going to set up the entire 170-pound division moving forward, at least for 2021. That is the most meaningful fight right now, aside from the title fight of 170. I know we believe that Colby and Usman are going to fight, but there's no contract and they're not fighting as of now. That is the Shemayev versus Edwards is extremely meaningful. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by one of my favorite nutritional products, Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I've ever had. Guys, I live a pretty busy lifestyle, even during the pandemic. I'm grateful. MMA never really slowed down between the podcast, TV, work from my home studio, and on the road, coaching, family life. It's been challenging to maintain healthy nutritional habits. And to be honest, I've never really been a fan of eating my vegetables. I know that's not what you want to hear from Uncle Chael, but it's true. This is where Athletic Greens has helped me and hopefully can help you too. It's a daily all-in-one superfood powder. One scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotics, green superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase our energy, our focus, and help with digestive and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. That's why it works for me. It's hard to remember to take my daily vitamin and get enough veggies to keep old Uncle Chael up and running on all cylinders. Athletic Greens is my one-stop shop. It's simple, easy, and guys, it's delicious. For you athletes out there, this product is NFC certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on the taste. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system, and during these winter months, it's offering my audience only one free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, you'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. So whether you or a family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael. 
and join athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash and get your one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. You'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. The Royal Rumble. Oh my good guys, this was rotten garbage. It was unbelievable. And I I watched that product over the years very infrequently and just watched it get worse and worse. And it's not because the talent's worse. The guys, as far as their ability to wrestle or draw, it's all there. It's it's like from a production standpoint, it's nothing to do with the pandemic. I mean, it really does. It doesn't have anything to do with the crowd, is what I'm talking about. I, even when the arenas were full, I mean the matches are too damn long. The worst thing about wrestling, which Vince is well aware of, is the wrestling. Which which is why if you ever watch a Monday Night Raw that's three hours long, there's 40 minutes of wrestling. There's two hours and 20 minutes between B-roll packages, interviews, and commercial breaks, in fairness. The worst part of the show is the wrestling. So when you, you're tuning in to watch a Royal Rumble, all anybody wants to see is the Royal Rumble, which is an incredible story. First off, battle royals just work. You understand them. The referee's not in there. Guy gets pitched over the top rope. Uh, boom, he's out. Let's keep doing that until one guy's left standing. I mean, it just works. Then to bring in guys every 60 seconds, their music hits, all the theatrics, all the fun, plus the battle royal. It, the Royal Rumble's awesome. Any matches that you have on the card of the Royal Rumble are a waste. Nobody wants to see that. We're just there to see the Royal Rumble. So then when you're going to have a match, for example, Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens, and it's going to be 40 minutes long. My God, it's painful. You have a referee who doesn't understand the rules, right? There, there's something called a countout. The guys have 10 seconds on the outside. If they don't get back in, they are then counted out. I would challenge any of you, including wrestling fans, to tell me one match where you've ever seen a guy get counted out. And you might be able to do it. You got to go back to the 80s, but you might have seen an NWA or an AWA product where it actually happened. And you'll even have the referee in the ring counting, but he's looking like a fool. One, two, three. The guys aren't getting back in. Four. Guys aren't getting back in. Four and a quarter. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So you have this referee acting like a fool who doesn't know the rules. Either take charge of your match or you don't have the referee. I mean, do you see the problem with that? So when the two guys don't want to go back into the ring, they want to do the same thing that they could be doing in the ring, but they're choosing to do it out of the ring, which is against the rules. And the referee does nothing about it. I mean, you see where the problem comes. That is as silly as when Roman Reigns picks up the stair set. Now the stair set is so light and flimsy that he's flinging it around like a child with a sheet of paper, but he's then hitting Kevin Owen with it. So we're supposed to believe this big heavy metal stairs, which we've already seen are no more than a paperweight, just hit Kevin Owen in the head five times at full speed, of which never took Kevin off of his feet. Kevin then delivers a kick to the stomach of Roman Reigns, who's holding the paperweight, and Roman's goes down to the ground. So five times in the head with a metal foreign object, can't take a tub of guts off his feet, but one kick to the midsection, and Roman's down. Now the problem with Roman selling and in this case, overselling, is so obvious to the smart marks that, okay, he's going over. He's appreciative of Kevin Owen for coming on a pay-per-view and doing the J-O-B. He's so appreciative. He's going to oversell and look like this is a hard struggle as a way of putting the guy over who's going to ultimately put him over. It is such a miss. So you have a ridiculous foreign object paperweight being rammed into a guy's head, not even hard enough to take him off the feet. Another guy who drops said paperweight and falls over like a sack of potatoes with a kick to the midsection from the tub of guts, a referee who's doing a slow count because he can't take control of his own match. I mean, it's so bad. And not to mention, we don't want to see it anyway. They had a conflict, get us conflict resolution and move on. The only thing we want to know about tub of guts and, uh, and double R is who won and that it's over so that we can start the Royal Rumble, which by the way, we do. And it was ultimately won by a 75 year old roadie from Leonard Skinner. There was a guy that when I used to watch wrestling, back when wrestling mattered in the very late nineties, because you had the Monday Night Wars, WCW versus WWE. You had Goldberg and the NWO over here and you had Stone Cold and the Rock over here. I mean, wrestling used to be fun, but there was a guy that used to jerk the curtain back then named Edge. I was a sophomore in college. This guy named Edge looked a lot like like this 75-year-old roadie from Leonard Skinner that they let win the Royal Rumble. And there's three guys that are all the same guy in wrestling. You could promise the fans Christian, you could promise the guys Test, or you could promise the fans Edge. 
You could then walk any of the three out, introduce them with any of those three. Nobody's gonna know the difference. There's three guys that are the same guy. Test, rest his soul, Christian and Edge, and nobody knows the difference, and they shouldn't. They're the same guy. Speaking of Christian, he's another guy that used to jerk the curtain back during the Monday Night Wars in 1998 when I would watch with my college roommates. He was also in the Royal Rumble. Okay, great, great. The list was low. Who could get a plane ticket to Florida? There's a pandemic. Whatever, whatever reason that these dinosaurs were brought out, the end of the night's coming. They're still in the ring. You go, okay, wait a second. At the guys in the ring, Braun Strowman makes the most sense to win, but the rewards that come with the Rumble, it's too much for Braun. Braun's not the guy. The best athlete in here, far and away, and not even a maybe, was Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle looked fantastic. I have read so many great things about Matt Riddle. I haven't got to see him perform. Matt Riddle was the, oh my God, I was so impressed with him. I was so proud of Matt Riddle and, and how far he's come and what a good job he did. So he's in the ring. Daniel Bryant, for reasons unknown, was in the building. And then you've got the Leonard Skittered Roadie and some guy named Christian from 1998. And you're looking around going, my God, our options aren't very big at this point and none of them are good. I get Riddle's about to go over. Riddle would also make the most sense. Even though he's very undersized, he's very popular. He, I'm telling you this, Matt Riddle can wrestle. He did such a good job. And he's also the youngest. Riddle's about to win the Royal Rumble. And while that might not have been anybody's guess yesterday at noon, it's very obvious right now because if he doesn't win the Royal Rumble, that means either Strowman, some guy named Daniel that shouldn't have even been there, and two dinosaurs from my sophomore year of college. One of them's gonna win it? No, Riddle's going to win it. Wrong. They put it around the 75-year-old roadie from Leonard Skinner. And yes, I realize that I keep hitting that same key on the piano, but it'll never quit being funny. Calling him a set, one more time, one more time for myself, a 75-year-old roadie from Leonard Skinner won the Royal Rumble. Usman finally spoke up, and I was so glad that he did. A lot of people want to hear from Usman, and Dana White has opened the door tremendously for Usman to go over and get a big push, particularly as of late. Dana's come out and said, man, that when this whole story's done, this guy's not gonna just go down as a great welterweight. He's gonna go down as a great fighter of all time. I mean, Dana is opening the door big, letting Usman know, no matter how much you might have been overlooked in the past, man, it's, it's not happening now. And I wanna make sure that Usman hears that. I wanna know that when Dana's saying these things about it, this is the opening for, hey, come through the door. We watched a whole new coat of paint get put over a guy named George Masvidal, who used to just be George Masvidal, now he's known as the biggest star in the sport. Speaking of George Masvidal, one of the things that Usman did recently, he called out Masvidal. Now, I liked it because it was very interesting to me. Masvidal did not win a round against Usman, according to two of the three judges, and only won one round against Usman, according to one of the judges. These are the same judges, of course, don't forget, that, that thought Volkanovsky beat Max. So you take that how you will. But for Usman to call out Masvidal was very surprising, but he gave a reason why. He gave a reason why, which is I had a broken nose going into that fight. And I'm sitting back and going, okay, wait a second. So what's your argument here, Usman, that the one judge that thought you lost one of the five rounds, that's your, is that the problem? Was that the broken nose? You want to make sure no judge, like what, what can Usman do better? That's what I'm asking. What, what is it about that fight that ever went against Usman, and why is it that he thinks he needs to do it again when nobody even knows what that one judge was looking at? He, Usman won all five rounds. What is it that he wants to fix his nose and go out there and do it again for? Why? I mean, in all honesty, does it matter? I want to see Usman and Masvidal do anything. I'll watch them in a bake-off right now, and I'll pay to do it. So if they want to fight, and I've always liked what Masvidal said. I've always thought it was very compelling when Masvidal said, I learned everything I need to learn. Give me a training camp and put me back in, I'll take this guy out. I thought it was very interesting because I know there's a part of you that's gonna go, Chael, how do you not see through it? Usman just wants the biggest payday. Uh, okay, fine, sure. But Masvidal doesn't. Masvidal is the big payday. So Masvidal really does believe, and if he's willing to go put it all on the line and go face or suffer a second defeat at the hands of the same guy, if he's willing to put that, and it's not about more money. Masvidal's bringing the money, right? Masvidal, okay, Masvidal's bringing the checkbook. Whoever he fights, he wants to fight the guy the two of the three judges think just shut him out, but he wants a training camp. He wants to use what he learned. That's very interesting. I mean, that's a very interesting fight, particularly in a division that is forming. Masvidal is going to have to do something, would be my belief. He's going to have to do something before he gets back in there with Usman. Like if Usman goes out and beats Burns, just use that as an example. That's between those two. Usman goes out and beats Burns. I, I, I don't believe that Masvidal is going to have a strong enough tailwind 
to come in and just go and get that same fight, a rematch of a fight, which at that point would be a year and a half later. I don't think so. Particularly with the head of steam that Chemayev, should he get over on Leon, is going to be coming in with. I think Usman's going to have to do something, which I think, again, is where that Colby Covington piece comes in. But it's really, I'm kind of digressing. I'm more looking at the fact that Usman is speaking up. Oh, by the way, said something very interesting. Every time Usman says something, it's interesting. He just doesn't do enough. And the door is open. Dana going out to a press conference and saying, man, this guy is going to not only go down as a great welterweight, he's going to go down as one of the great fighters of all time. That's an olive branch. That's a pe that's an offering. It's now Usman's job to accept that, right? Dana dropped the rope down. Now Usman's got to climb up. But I, I feel as though he is. And even if it was on accident, I felt the calling out Masvidal and stating the reason why. Because all the talk was around Masvidal. Short note, Masvidal took all the credit. Usman did the same thing. Masvidal didn't know he's going to fight Usman. Usman didn't know he's going to fight Masvidal. Usman did the same thing and won. But Masvidal left with all the credit. It's very similar. Mike Tyson fights Roy Jones Jr. The fight's a draw. Mike Tyson leaves with all the credit. All the headline, all the story, and the next mega fight. We don't even know if Roy Jones will get in the ring again. They did the same thing. They did the exact same thing. It got the exact same result, a draw. So, I mean, sometimes, right, sometimes two plus two doesn't equal four. It's all how you play it after the fact. It looks as though at least a glimmer of hope that Usman's going to start playing the game, the game that he is the best at in the world. It looks as though there's a chance Usman starts playing. I hope he does. Guys, figuring out 155, I firmly believe we are down to Connor. A step down would be Diaz, but I'm going to put Connor and Diaz, and I believe that I'm right on that. I think there's a gap. I think that gap was smaller seven days ago, but all Diaz needs to do is speak up. When Diaz speaks, people listen. He went a little bit quiet. My guess would be Connor, step down, Diaz, but those two. However, Strange things happen in this sport, right? You don't just look at the rankings. You don't just sit down and decide who deserves what. People get sick. People get hurt. Last minute opportunities come all the time. Gaethje has come out. Gaethje said that Connor should not be able to fight for the championship because he was just stopped in his last fight. So Gaethje's out. His own argument as to why Connor shouldn't fight for the belt would, of course, apply to himself. He was also stopped in his last fight. We got to remove Gaethje. Chandler has said nothing but yes. I must imagine as a breath of fresh air in the offices. Chandler stepped in to be a backup fighter, went through everything, got very little for it, stepped back in, went into a co-main event and won, and by the way, has a good attitude, right? That's the secret that the textbook won't teach you. That's the secret the professor standing in front of class can never get people to understand. It doesn't hurt to be liked. And then you got Oliveira. Oliveira just lost to Chandler, and Chandler never had to throw a punch. Oliveira got offered a fight with Chandler. Chandler said yes, Oliveira said no. By any other form of sport, that's called a forfeit. So I have to imagine eliminating Gaethje based on Gaethje's own words, eliminated Charlie Olive since he took himself out of it, and you got one guy left standing, which is Chandler. Now I understand the Chandler's third down, Connor, Nate Diaz, Chandler. I understand that. But think about how guys get sick, how guys get hurt, how people don't want to do something. I, I, just imagine, it's very easy to see a scenario where Chandler's next fight is with Poirier for the belt. It's very easy to get there. I, I will concede you got to do something with Connor. You got to get him out of the way. And you got to get Nate out of the way. Nate will either be in the way or Nate will take him. So, but that's completely up to Nate. Nate in 160 characters or less through the form of Twitter can either get himself this fight or remove himself. So if Nate chooses to remove himself, now Chandler slides into number two. The number two option behind Connor. I don't know that we're ever going to need anything outside of that. It seems as though if you're looking to do something at 155 pounds and Connor McGregor is available. Conor McGregor is the idea you go with. But the rest of the guys need something to do in the meanwhile. And it would appear that with your three-way dance between Gaethje, Chandler, and Oliveira, it would appear just listening to them and just looking at the attitudes and knowing how attitudes and willingness are rewarded within this industry, it would appear Chandler's in a very, very good spot. Let me tell you a story of an unnamed Bellator official who told me the story. I'm gonna keep his name out of it, but it's a story that you guys need to hear. We're at the Mohegan Sun for a Bellator, and there was a gentleman who was gonna fight at 125 pounds, and this was his big opportunity. He's gonna come to Bellator, who knows where it goes from there, right? Get a win, break onto television, move your way up. If you wanna be a professional fighter, you either gotta be signed with Bellator, you gotta be signed with the UFC, or you're not a professional fighter. Very big deal, very big opportunity. Said fighter shows up, he comes into the bubble, which is extremely expensive, relevant to the story. He follows all the protocols, 
He gets all the testing. He gets sequestered to his room. He does everything right, shows up to weigh-ins. He misses weight by eight pounds. It's a 125-pounder who shows up at 133 pounds. He is now removed from the card. It's not an option under that jurisdiction for the opponent to go, oh, I'll do it anyway, give me 10% of his purse. It wasn't an option. Mike Mazzulli pulled the fight. It was a body weight percentage issue. The guy's not going to fight. He now gets to get his stuff and be removed from the bubble and go home. And as this is happening, unnamed Bellator official grabs him and says, by the way, in the future, just don't show up. The guy stops and the guy looks at him. He says, no, I'm, I'm serious. When we called you to say no or I'm hurt, or I'm sick, happens all the time. We'd have put the phone down. We'd have had you on the list of people to call. You would have got another call, but telling us yes, showing up eight pounds overweight, making us go to all this expense, costing us a fight the day before the fight, which means we have no ability to replace this fight, is gonna get your name removed from the list. In the future, just don't show up. That's your biggest mistake here. You shouldn't have showed up. And I bring you that story after getting the story five minutes ago that Charles Oliveira was awful, my, offered Michael Chandler and he said no. Charles Oliveira has now lost to Michael Chandler. And using the excuse of I can't make weight, which I'm sure is true, Oliveira has struggled with that. And Dana White went as far as to cover Oliveira at a press conference from Fight Island two weeks ago while telling the media, yeah, you know, I, can't, I don't blame the kid. Said he couldn't make the weight. I appreciated him telling us he, he struggles to make the weight. Who can blame him? But when I use the word cover, it really is just that. That's a cover. Oliveira doesn't have very many things to do. Forgetting your mouthpiece or your cup, the only two things that are required of you would make you look like a little bit of a fool. You only have two things to do. You gotta bring your cup and your mouthpiece, right? Competing, of which you're called upon three times a year, it's a little weird if you're not in shape or ready to compete, which is one of your only two jobs, the other being to make weight. Oliver doesn't have a whole lot of things that he needs to do, but he does need the cup, he does need the mouthpiece, he does need to be in shape, and he does need to make weight. And when you're dealing with a guy who eventually could be wearing your belt, which means he's headlining your shows, which means he's on your posters and he's on your billboards, and it's a guy who will openly telling you without the proper notification, without the proper paperwork, without everything being just perfect, I can't fill in the blank. I can't what? Bring my mouthpiece, find my cup, be in shape, make the way. What else is there to do? And guys are very happy to hang their hat on the excuse of one of the few things, there's not very much to do. And like the unnamed Bellator official said, guys are hurt and they're sick all the time. We deal with it. In the future, so you don't make this main same mistake again. In the future, don't show up. There is a message there though. I mean, Oliveira loses, they're down to three. Chandler Oliveira Gaethje. Gaethje shooting himself in the foot, talking shit about the promotion. Oliveira now finds a reason why he can't do something, and there's Chandler. I mean, I still think the title uh, the title opportunity either goes to Connor, longer distance would be Diaz, much further down, but still in number three position sits Michael Chandler. Why is it so hard for Khabib to retire? Guys, I've got to tell you, in my profession, I've done it. I've done, it didn't take a lot of work. It was words. I said them into a microphone. From a professional standpoint, it might be the easiest thing that one could ever do. Did you ever see The Office where Michael Scott was having money problems? So he goes into, a, he shuts the door, he's got an advisor with him who tells him one option is to declare bankruptcy. So Michael weighs it over and he decides that's the best option. He opens the door to the office, he gets everybody's attention and he yells out, I declare bankruptcy. And he thought that was it. He thought that was all you had to do. So the advisor had to come back in, shut the door, sit him down and explain, no, 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 there's more steps. The declaration of bankruptcy is a legal term. And you got, but do you guys remember this? It, it was very funny. It just happens to be true in retirement. You just have to say the words. There's nothing else you have to do. Khabib said the words, and it seems very bizarre that he hasn't been able, right? I mean, it's like the reverse Michael Scott. Michael Scott thought all he had to do was say words. It turns out he's got to do a whole book of paperwork. It turns out that Khabib really only has to say the words, but people are trying to make him do a whole book of paperwork. Why is it so hard for him to retire? People are coming out and saying that he should unretire if and only if to fight George St. Pierre. Okay, fine. 
As a fan, that's the fight. There's no fight I would rather see if we're sitting around and we're doing mythical fights, but that could actually happen. Right, Genie pops out of the bottle. Hey, Chael, you, you, you get three fights. That's fight number one that I choose. I would love that. It's realisticness though. I have to apply the golden rule, which is to put myself in somebody else's shoes and figure how I would want to be treated or guess what I would do. So the question would become a motivation of Khabib. If the title is not on the line, which is what he and George, absent of each other, are both discussing, it won't be at 155 pounds, therefore the belt won't be up. Okay, then why are you here and why are you fighting George? We have learned that Khabib is not motivated by money. We've also learned that he's got a ton of money. So even if at one point in his life he liked to say I wasn't motivated by money, once you're really rich, you're no longer motivated by money. Okay, he wouldn't be motivated for a championship because there would not be one. So why are we here and what are we doing? And there may be an answer to that. It may be cold-hearted competitiveness. Many say this guy's the best. Many say I'm the best. And I'm willing to walk out here for 25 minutes or however long it takes and find out one way or the other. Love it. I love it. But following the golden rule of putting himself in your shoes, is that a risk that you would want to take? Is that a risk that you would take. And the same would be said for George. Why are we here and what are we doing this for? George has always stated his motivation, none of which was money or was fame, but that he would like that 155 pound title and he would like to be the one guy that beats Khabib. So now that we removed the title, because again, we're doing it at a catch weight, is it enough to motivate George? Kenny Florian came out over the weekend, I believe through social media known as Twitter, and said that he has inside information that George St. Pierre is currently training for Khabib. Kenny's pretty tight with George. Like if Kenny Florian says that, it would tend to make me turn my head and listen. The only problem with this statement is George has been training for Khabib for two years. It wouldn't necessarily be something new. That's what I'm offering for you. Training for something. I got people there, they're all around me and God bless them, but they're training for the Olympics. And if you follow up and you ask, oh my God, are you on the Olympic team? No. Okay, so you're not training for the Olympics, you're training for the Olympic trials. Close enough, I understand how one sounds cooler than the other, but close, I got it. But that's where the wordplay starts to become interesting. You're training for Khabib. Okay, does that mean you have a fight with Khabib? No. Okay, does that mean that you have a reasonable expectation that you could come up with a fight with Khabib? No. Okay, but every day when you go to practice, you're thinking about Khabib. Yeah, I'm training for Khabib. Okay, do you see the problem? So I don't know. I don't know. I think when Coach Javier M Mendez is speaking out about his own athlete, it means something. And I think when a friend of St. Pierre, Kenny Florin in this case, is speaking about Drew, I think that it means something. But in the world of realisticness, eventually we have to follow the golden rule, which is to put ourselves in their shoes and think, what would I do? Because if those boys get together, there's nothing to win. Half of the world already believes George St. Pierre is the greatest and half of the world already believes it's Khabib. There's nothing to win. There is half of the world's opinion to lose. I think that storyline is more compelling than any other storyline that I could bring you. Two guys willing to walk out there purely for the opinion of half of the planet. I don't know if there's a more powerful story I can bring you, but it brings me back to the basic question. Would you do it? You had nothing to win and you had half of the planet to lose. Would you do it? Neil Magny is staying after Chemayev. I mean, Neil's calling him out all sorts of ways. He said, I'm going to slap him on sight, right? I mean, if there's anybody within the UFC who you at least expect to slap somebody on sight, it's Neil Magny. But Neil's worked up. Maybe the first time in his career, he's all worked up. I like it. And I think that Neil's the only guy, not, not the slap on sight, the worked up Neil. The Neil Magny that's coming out and has a voice. I understand that his timing appears to be a little bit off. He has been rewarded for all of his good efforts over over the years with co-main event spots and main event spots, he's coming off of one loss. So what? So what? And at least it's here. And not to mention, Neil has the right, and Neil is the only welterweight who has earned the right because all the other welterweights found reasons to not face Chimaev. They found different reasons. I mean, whether it was a couple of months ago, blame it on his uh, Chimaev's ranking or lack thereof, whatever the reason was. But Magny is the one guy that said, I will do it when the dance card was open, showing that he was sincere, showing that he meant it. And it's not a bad idea to start attaching yourself to Chimaev. I mean, how far is Chimaev going to go if he beats Leon? It's a very hard assumption to make. It's a very hard bet to hedge. But in the landscape right now of the absence of Khabib, you will hear terms out there like, well, this guy's going to lose fans. So if he does this, he's going to lose fans. Or now that Khabib's gone, the UFC's going to lose all these fans. What is it you think happened 
to them. What plague is do, do you think that hit the fan community? Nobody loses fan. The fans don't go away. They go elsewhere. So it is a red hot market right now for who is going to absorb the Khabib fans. It's red hot and it would appear very much so that it's going to be Chemayev, who fights similar, who's got ties to Dagestan, who at one point uh, called himself Khabib 2.0, whose record in some ways resembles Khabib. Maybe not as many wins, but the amount of losses are the same. I mean, right, I'm, I'm telling you things that you already know. I'm telling you and pointing out for you what you already know is that Chemayev is going to fill this void, but it's very relevant that you understand that. Khabib had more Twitter presence, I apologize, social media presence between Twitter, Instagram, Facebook than any Muslim athlete in the world. So there is something, those fans are looking to go somewhere. There's always a misconception within this sport. When a star leaves that somehow it's going to affect the organization, particularly in this sport. I mean, I could tell you, if I had a dollar for every time, some media member would ask Dana at a press conference, what is the UFC going to do now? Connor is gone, or Ronda is leaving, or Brock has now signed with Vince. And it's one of those things that the media is so close. Media, just by example, everybody, so close, they can't see what's really going on. The one thing that happens when you have a star, it's hard for anybody else to get attention. You go bring five people to a press conference, but Connor is one of those five. Four people are going to be sitting there feeling like fools because all the attention is going to go to Connor. You eliminate Connor, you can now rise four people. You get rid of one McGregor, you can now elevate four people. This is always a part that is missed by everybody, but that is the negative side to having The Rock on the card or having Stone Cold on the card. All the focus and attention is going to go to one. And while that guy might be popular enough to set the table and fill up the arena for everybody else, that's where it gets tough to have multiple stars at once. And you could look back over the history of the UFC. There's not a time where they had 10 box office draws at once. It's the part of why didn't they that people miss. Why was there only two or three at the very top getting spread out over the calendar year? And the answer to that is because if you have a mega star, he will suck all of the attention out of the room. I only share that for you because if you think that Chemayev is gonna be as big of a star as Chemayev's going to be with the presence of Khabib, you were wrong. But in the absence of Khabib, Chemayev's star who's already on the rise is going to get gasoline thrown on. It. And it's very wise for Magni to begin to attach himself to Chemayev. I don't believe that Magni has thought out what I said to the extent that I just said it. I think he accidentally did something brilliant. I, I don't care. Magni's a stud, and he's one stud that has the right to say Chemayev's name. All the other top guys at some point were either offered Chemayev or saw on the internet, okay, Chemayev needs only one of them step forward, and that's Magni. I'm sharing with you that if, if history repeats itself and everybody tucks and runs from Chemayev again, like they've already done one. And this could be win or lose to Leon. Don't forget, there's another side to this coin. Chemayev's trajectory upwards doesn't mean he doesn't ever get to stub his toe. It's going to slow things, but it doesn't mean he ever gets to, uh, never gets to stub his toe. But imagine that he does. Imagine that he loses to Leon. He's, Chemayev, four months later, is still going to need somebody to fight. Maybe that ups Magni's chances. Fine. But you see where it's still wise, and you see where Magni is still showing a courage that I feel as though people haven't shown him the respect for. I really feel that way. Magni deserves more from the audience, and the audience wants something more from Magni. For example, they want to be entertained aside from the 15 to 25 minutes that you're in the cage. Magni has never understood that until now. But if Magni's willing to turn a new leaf, then the audience should be willing to turn a new leaf with him. And a lot of guys are going to talk tough and try to attach themselves to someone like Chemayev. But Magni was there when no one else was. And Magni did this very quietly. He didn't come out and scream from the rooftops. He wasn't looking to get PR and attention for himself. He very quietly went right to Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard and said, I will fill, I will fill in. I will fight. Shamaya. It's a totally different deal. There's some guys that I feel deserve a little bit more than the audience is giving them. Curtis Blades would come to mind on that. I don't know what Curtis has done to upset you, but I know what he has done that generally you would love. The fact that he went out there against Ngannou was a stud move. He got crushed. And what does Bert, uh, Curtis Blades do? He asks for a rematch with Ngannou, which generally you would love. He gets the rematch. He gets crushed again. What does Curtis Blades do? He has to get a third match with Ngannou. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we revere 
Those are the kinds of attitudes that we love. The word fighter has become so corrupted over my lifetime. Now it may, uh, the punches and the kicks, and can you do that better than the person in front of you? When I was growing up, a fighter is somebody who tried when it was hard to try, who got up when they were down and who pushed forward, who didn't take no for an answer, who kept showing up and who kept standing up. And I'm seeing guys doing that. I'm seeing Magni doing that. He stubs his toe with Chiesa. He doesn't go look for an easy fight. He doesn't remain quiet. He speaks up and he looks for the hardest fight that nobody else wants, which is the exact same thing that Kurt Blades not only asked for but got twice and is trying to get a third time. I ask that you guys be open to it. All right, guys, that was a fun day. Lot to recap there, huh? I mean, a lot went on all the way down to the Royal Crap Fest. But I'll be back here on Friday. I'll expect you to do the same. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.